0: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is best selling author Elizabeth Lesser. Her new book is Cassandra Speaks When Women Are the Storytellers, the Human Story Changes. Throughout history, most of humankind's origin stories, or heroes, tales, novels, and films have been told by men. Embedded in those stories are morals about men and women, power and war, sex and love, and what it takes to be courageous, gallant, and strong. These stories stick to us and form our values and validate or invalidate whole swaths of people. But what if women had been the storytellers too? What kind of world would women have longed for and led us toward? These are the questions that Elizabeth Lesser explores as she empowers women to trust their instincts, speak their truths, and reclaim their authentic voices from under the weight of thousands of years' worth of fake news from history. She's given two popular TED Talks and is one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100, and she's also co-founder of the Omega Institute. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be with you. Yeah, well, I just finished, actually, uh, uh, last night watching one of your TED Talks, uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed, uh, about your experience with your sister and uh, as and and you, um, and sort of fits into what we're talking about today as well, uh, about women. What if the stories were different? What if it was a different story? What if we looked at these stories throughout history through the eyes, I guess, or through the filter of, of women? Um and your book is uh, d- uh, d- uh, well separated into three different parts, right? It's structured in three di- distinct different parts. So, let's start with why you did that and how you did that in in terms of of the book itself. W- what are these? Yeah, three different- well, yeah.
1: The book is called Cassandra Speaks, and um, I know before I was deep into writing the book, I didn't really remember the <clears throat> Cassandra story, but briefly, she was a Greek. Uh, mythological figure, um, a princess, a mortal princess who was uh, wooed by many, many suitors, including gods, and the god Apollo offered her the gift of clairvoyance, of seeing into the future, Uh, and she took the gift. She didn't understand that Right away, he'd want to have sex with her, and she refused, and then he cursed her, and he said, you will still see into the future. You'll see everything, but no one will believe you. And I went looking at all sorts of these early stories about what mattered to the storytellers, what What were they telling about men, about women, about what it means to be a human being, what it means to be a hero? And I thought, I want to look at lots of these stories that have kind of gotten under our skin and told us about ourselves, even though we don't even know the stories anymore. So the first part of the book is called Origin Stories, where I unpack those. And the second part of the book is called Power Well, the I want to stick stories. with the first
0: part still because you talked okay. about Cassandra, but you also talk about the original story of Eve. So can, can talk talk to us about that because that's another story that sort of, not sort of, it does blame us, womankind, for the sins and the bad things that happen in this world. Or,
1: yeah, well... It's amazing how many stories, not just from Western biblical traditions or Greek, but all over the world. I do get more into the Western traditions because I'm a Westerner and they're the ones under my skin. But yes, Eve. Now, you have to remember, some people listening may be Bible literalists, so apologies to you, but I believe the stories and The Bible were parables written by people, and those people were men. And our origin tale is about a man in a garden, and God notices he's lonely, and he gives him Eve, the first woman, and the first woman is painted as second in creation, but first to sin, and everything is blamed on her for following her instincts, her curiosity. She was curious, just like most of the heroic men in the Bible are. They're curious. They leave home. They go through all sorts of trials and failures of character, and then they grow and change. But Eve is the only protagonist in the Bible who is blamed for that same instinct, To leave home, you know, it's called the hero's journey. You can't find who you are until you leave the garden and then eventually you come back wise. Eve was looking for wisdom. So I believe that if women had been part of the storytelling crew originally, not not only women, but women and men, we'd have lots of different morality tales about what it means to be brave, to be a hero, and women would not be blamed for everything. Uh,
0: yeah, the, I think that, yes, okay, so that's, the, I, I agree with you, and I think that's true. How, how do you cu- extract that, though, from the, the culture of, of the people who, because I think that that is true, men were writing those stories to begin with. How, could, it, could it have been done differently or, or not? Could they have been yeah. written differently?
1: Um, well, if women had been uh equally voiced if if the culture that wrote our origin stories were um, women and men, and it no one was uh ranked as better than the other. It was just oh, here's a type of human called woman, here's a type of human called man. Everyone has interesting ideas and values and experiences and hormones and ways of viewing the world. If everyone had been given a chance, the stories would be different. It probably wouldn't be the story of Adam and Eve and Eve born 2nd it They'd be entirely different stories. And I contend that... um since women from antiquity have had more to do with raising children, caring for older people, being emotional um, caregivers to the world, more intuitive, more compassionate, less aggressive, <clears throat> and I'm not judging here. You know, I'm not saying men should never tell the stories because men bad, women good. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying we're out of balance as a culture we, we have this idea that, you know, under, under stress, all humans do fight or flight. That, that's, a, that's a scientifically, quote-unquote, proven idea of what happens under stress. Well, do you know, uh, in, in 2004, I think, a, a woman um, researcher at UCLA, Shelley Taylor, decided to look into those old studies about what do people do under stress, the studies that showed hormones flush your system and you either fight or flee. She discovered that none of those studies had been done on women because they, they happened in the 1930s and 40s, and no one was doing research on women then. So she brought women into the lab and looked at animal studies done on female animals and discovered that actually the hormones and chemicals that flood women under stress and duress are not the same as men. And women's response often is fight or flight, but more often than not, it's something she termed tend and befriend. Under stress, women often want to tend the most vulnerable of the community, and then befriend as wide a group as they can so there's a sense of belonging so the fight doesn't have to happen. So if women had been involved from the beginning in telling our tales about what it means to be a hero, what it means to be a human, how to treat each other, I think the tend and befriend response to stress would have changed the way we told those stories.
0: How do you think that bringing it up to the present... And I think that, you know, we've been doing this for thousands of years, right? Telling these stories, men have been telling these stories, and actually the scientists who came up with the fight or flight uh, theory, scientific theories, were men. So it's not surprising that those were the results. But uh, having a vice president of the United States who's a woman, what do you think, will that help to change the narrative
1: I, I do think that will help. I think um, the most powerful people um, are models for the rest of us. I, and I, I'm a political junkie, and so I'm all over that story. But I kind of would like to focus more on ourselves, because it all starts to me um, with each one of us in our home, in our workplace, in our community. So, yes, so happy there's a woman vice president and so happy that there are more women coming into the Senate and the House from all political parties. I think when there's a, um, an equal number of women, in, and this has been proved in other countries, um, in the governing bodies, there is a, a shift of focus on what matters in the country so more emphasis is put on education uh lead, parental leave the, the the kinds of issues that that affect real life people in their everyday life in our own lives um i think if women in their families and in their workplaces it's not that I'm interested in, like, women getting your, our foot in the door of power and just becoming just like what power has always been defined as, you know, winner takes all, kind of the egocentric me, me, me. I'm interested in women seeing if we can redefine what power means, like to do power differently, to be more inclusive, to be less um, ego-driven. And people will say, hey, I have a woman boss and she's like, you know, even worse than the man boss I had. So, yes, that can be true because we're all functioning under thousands of years of a definition of heroism and power that needs to change. And I think if women get in touch with and validate our real voices and our deeper hearts and no longer think of ourselves as soft and naive and Pollyanna, but kind of give a musculature to empathy and love and care and, and try to really be that in all of our realms, um, I think we'll begin to change what it means to be powerful.
0: In other words, that's how we can do power differently. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about um, the studies that they've done on men and women when it, particularly in older people, when uh, somebody's spouse dies, and if it's a man who's left alone, they do they don't do as well on in a lot of you know health and emotionally mm-hmm. and socially alone as women do. If you're talking about doing power differently, and women somehow rise to the occasion, even if they've had a good marriage or a good relationship, but they seem to do a lot better. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, as uh, yeah, that's where to, I that, feel yeah. It's been, it's men have suffered just as much as women have under this idea that that to be a successful, powerful person you have to kind of shut down your emotions and be like the strong, silent type, and it, it's it's painful not to be emotionally connected to people. You know, a lot of studies have shown women have more friends, women have more intact social circles, they're more in touch with their family, the children. This is a power and and a blessing that women have that I think men, and I'm seeing in the younger generation of men, I'm seeing it in my sons who are parents and are being the most engaged fathers. And I often think, wow, that kind of fathering could change the world because within the family, if boys see My dad is the one who makes my lunches. My dad is the one who knows my friends' names. You know, if that begins to change from the inside, it goes to the outside of the culture as well.
0: I think that's true, and I have had the same experience with my son and his three sons, little babies, to toddlers, mm-hmm. and, and a four-year-old. And and it's a, yes, and he takes response. I mean, he's putting them to bed, and he's feeding them and doing all the things that we consider, well, we, in the past perhaps have considered nurturing. I think that
1: will change yeah. the world. Do you?
0: Yes. That definitely will change the world. There's no. I mean, my and this is a personal story, but you know, my four-year-old grandson had to go to the dentist for the first time, and because of COVID, he has to go in by himself because they don't allow parents in if you're four or older. Well, it was his dad who took him there, and that's who he, you know, not mom, but dad. I mean, that right. sounds like a small thing, but that's a big thing, um, and it's those kinds. Yeah,
1: I think it's as big as having a woman vice president. That's what I was meaning. Like when I said, "That's great," but I think when we focus on the the big names, the political people, the celebrities, we're kind of off track. I'm really interested in these kind of things that are really filtering down into everyday life.
0: Do you think another part of that, I mean, it's also women, and uh, this is maybe more personal as well, but this is what I've observed as a social worker, you know, women really do, that's... um, have traditionally done those kinds of things that we've been describing, but it's difficult for them to give up. And I'm putting it in quotes that power Mm -hmm. because it is powerful, even though it hasn't been defined as powerful, it is. And so there has to be a real shift, as you say, and a balance between the two of them because in order to allow men to do that, um, you're giving up a... I don't want to say power. I, I'm not sure I'm saying it no, right. No, it is. Yeah.
1: I, I agree. I have a part in the book that is called shadow work. And shadow work, maybe you know as a social worker, it's from the Jungian psychology. It's, it's being brave enough to take responsibility for the ways in which we don't give up power. That, you know, so... Women, we have to look at ourselves and not just look and say, oh, if men would only do this and if men had let women be the storytellers. A lot of what's going on is exactly what you say. If we say we want men to be more sensitive, more involved, uh, more empathetic, when they get into our quote-unquote domain, we have to give over. We also, I don't know if you've noticed this yourself or in your clients, but sometimes we're so branded as women and men, we may think we want our men to be more empathetic, but we still are functioning under that old patriarchal ideal that a man should always be strong and not admit that he's afraid. On some level, we're all caught in that, and women are still looking. I know sometimes when my husband breaks down and shows his weakness, I watch myself and I'm like, Ugh, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't know if I want this. It's so, a little scary. Yeah. So we all have to look at ourselves and say, how are we holding up these archetypes, these these stereotypes? And if we really want to see a world of balance where women can be strong and effective in the world and men can be soft and loving in the family, and we all can kind of trade off and become our best full selves, we we have to really look at how each one of us is responsible for upholding the old, you know, habitual ways of being.
0: So we really have to take a look, obviously, take a look at our inner, inner selves. And um, I'm thinking of another example. I have a 90-plus-year-old mother who ten years ago going to the grocery store and, and complaining about the men shopping in the grocery store. That's her territory. Yeah. You know, they have their they get their carts are in my way and they've got the kids and they don't know how to handle it. And and really yeah. being incensed because that's how she that was her territory and, and don't infringe upon it. But that's what, three generations ago.
1: Yeah, things are changing. Things will keep changing and then we'll have backlash. I mean, I look at the past years in American culture and I see a lot of reactivity against fast change uh, about women and men and um, gay people and, you know, it's just been so fast, this change, and in my humble opinion, wonderful and exciting and liberating, but it's scary to people. Change is scary and fast change can create enormous backlash, which I feel we're in right now, but I also am enough of a history watcher to know that this is the way it goes: big change, big backlash. Always, though, moving toward um, a more enlightened society. I remain, I remain an optimist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I think we all need to remain optimists. I'm thinking I have a lot of, uh, I have a lot of, I have a lot of male friends, and a lot many. Several who are gay, and I always think, and we we talk about this sometimes. I mean, maybe gay men bridge the gap because they're not afraid to, maybe show. Some, not all this is, and you know, can be very stereotypic, but maybe in a positive way, can can be compassionate and caring and not afraid to show their emotions, but at the same time, be have those quote masculine traits. Uh, I'm not yeah, sure that's and, true.
1: and I'm not either. But what I am sure is true is all of us playing around with this idea that gender is not as fixed. Um, the law and order around gender is kept so many of us from expressing our full selves. And those old stories still hold us in place so that even now as a woman, I mean, I've been a businesswoman, I've been out in the world a lot, even, I still have these weird kernels of shame in me to admit that maybe, yeah, I'm a powerful person. Like, men are still told, little boys are still told, you know, to go out and get it. And women, little girls, you know, if a little girl, um, well, the stories that little boys and girls hear, oddly enough, still keep little girls trapped in this idea that I should be quiet and good and to flex my voice and opinions keep it down a little and boys are told the opposite it, this is still going on and I still feel it in me so this, this ability to um, yes I'm a woman and I love to cook and I love being a mother and a grandmother and I love taking care and these are fantastic qualities and they should make it all the way up to leadership and men who feel like yeah I like I like the idea of of, you know, stereotypical men going out there uh, making it in the world. That's good. That's good. But so is if you're a man and you love to look good and garden and cook and take care of your kids, that's good too. So we can mix it up.
0: Yeah, mixing it up. And I think and another thing, I mean, your book obviously is a great um I don't know whether you would call it – you can call it your book a toolbox for helping us understand uh, all of what we've been talking about, obviously, and and making these kinds of changes. I think also there are children's books today that do the same thing, which is – I mean, I'm looking at my two-and-a-half-year-old and and set of twins, grandchildren, and four-year-old, and the books that they are reading are very different from the kinds of books Mm. we had. Mm -hmm. And that that, Mm -hmm. uh, – you know, uh, they have one that talks about uh, heroes or – Heroines, the heroes. I think it is, and um, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is on the cover, and Catherine Graham, and uh, they talk about these, and we talk about these women, and um, they're. That's a, a huge change from at least the kinds of uh, reading that we had when we were four years old, yeah, or three years yeah. old. And right? I look so.
1: forward to the time when a hero on the cover isn't only someone who has made it to the top of the power pyramid. I'm, I'm interested in hero stories that are also about a nurse or a dad who stayed home. Um, I, I'm interested in cracking this code of what it means to be heroic. It always has to mean getting to the top. Um, I think many of our heroes go unsung, and they're social workers who are in the Shadows of society taking care of the most vulnerable people and not looking for accolades, but just following this internal urge to care. I'd, I'd like the urge to care to become heroic. That if, if you were to ask me, what's the book really about? And I've never said that to myself even right now. It's the first time I've thought this. I would like the urge to care to be as heroic as the urge to prevail,
0: the urge to care. Yeah, and I and I that's something that that we have. I that I mean I think that's really well said because we aren't we don't do that. We are, we have these heroes. You have to be at the top of your game. You have to be the king or the queen, uh, but you don't have to be the king or the queen. You have to be. It has to be come from your inner self. And I think that's that's key. The urge to care. We have to allow ourselves to do that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's been the response to your book?
1: What has the response been? Um, uh-huh. it's, it's been so interesting to have it come out. It came out at the end of September and to have it come out in the midst of this election cycle where there's been, you know, very little space in people's heads and hearts for anything but are we going to make it through this election Um, but within the context of that it's been wonderful it's been it's doing well and people seem to understand that yes this idea of changing up what it means to be a powerful person and letting women be the people who help redefine that it seems very topical right now.
0: Yeah, but maybe women can. Well, we we have to make our changes, but also we can help others to guide guide them through. Um, we have a couple minutes left, so give us a website or websites that we can go to um, to for people to find out. First of all, to buy sure. the book, and then to find out or get more information about you and the work you're doing.
1: Great. My my website is uh, Lesser dot org dot and at the website you can find you know my Facebook and Instagram and other ways to find what I'm doing, um, podcasts and interviews and of course not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> that's been another interesting thing to sit on my butt in my office for and travel the world. Been very interesting. Um, so, yeah, that's where you can find out about me, ElizabethLesser.org.
0: Great. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really, I really enjoyed talking to you. I also wanted to say um, to my listeners also listen to Elizabeth's TED Talks because they're also um, they're great. They're really good. And Yeah, um,
1: one of them is called Take the Other to Lunch. I think I did it like eight or nine years ago, and Mm -hmm. it was this idea that our country is getting a little divided, and we need to take each other to lunch if we disagree. Well, I didn't quite understand how divided we were going to get, but I still stand by the idea of take somebody to lunch who voted differently and see if you two can just like each other. You don't have to change each other's mind. Just find each other's hearts in there and put down the I think we Put have to take each way. other to
0: dinner right now. I think look, we've morphed into dinner from lunch.
1: <laughs> we need. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> on that note, we too. have to say
0: goodbye.
1: <laughs> Thank you. All right. Nice to talk to you.
0: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show.